Tyler Smiley. And I'm John Morrison. And this is the Rooted and Grounded Podcast. Rooted and Grounded is a ministry of Lakewood Baptist Church that creates theological content to grow the church in our knowledge of God in order that we would grow in our love for Him and for our neighbor. Want to know more? Check it out. Rootedandgrounded.co Well, here we are. Back again. It's good to be back. Good to be back. It's the fall... The weather's feeling crisp. I don't know if it's fall yet. It's pretty close. Getting closer and almost crisp. Almost crisp. Mm. Felt nice the other morning. It did. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Felt fallish. I'll take that. I'll take it. It was not 85 and 100% humidity at 6 in the morning. So Good we're, we're pretty happy. Good with me. And we're uh, doing our churchwide study. Yeah, our fall six week study. I'm really excited about this one. Good. What's it on? (laughs) (laughs) It's on Ephesians. Yeah. Uh, We're calling it the wisdom of community. So looking at Ephesians, but particularly looking at what the Bible says about God's church and who we are as his church and why the church is God's wise plan for us as his people. Yeah. There's so much in Ephesians that, I mean, it's just really a rich book. You talk about things that, I mean, it's short, six chapters, right? Six weeks, six chapters. Six weeks, I don't know if you noticed chapters. that. It's pretty good, huh? We're 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 clever with those things, uh, but I mean, it's like it feels like it has as much packed into it as say Romans in a lot of ways. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not. It maybe maybe it's not um, doesn't elaborate as much on all of the theological and all of the life practical matters and this sort of thing. But whereas Romans is, I think maybe sixteen chapters or right around there. Yes, I think it's sixteen, yeah, right? Good. So, ladies and gentlemen, your next associate senior pastor, your next senior pastor. I think I got it right. You think you got it right? All right. Ephesians is six, so right. it's way we're do shorter. A sword drill in just a minute, so you way, can find it. Almost a third shorter, in fact. No, almost a third in length. I mean to say, I'm not a mathematician by trade. I'm not a mathematician, nor am I a son of a mathematician. <laughs> just merely, merely called by God here. But uh, doesn't it feel like there's a yeah. lot in Ephesians happening? It's really dense. Yeah. I mean. It, there's so much that Paul packs in to each paragraph and each phrase that, I mean, that's the reason we're spending a week on each chapter. There's, there's, there is just a richness to it. And I think a richness both theologically, like as he teaches us about who God is and what God has done for us in Christ, but also just incredibly rich practically. Right. I mean, I'm thinking about, because this hits home with me, Ephesians 4.32, just one verse but be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Yeah. And that's just one, that's the last verse in chapter four. But I mean, you could spend a six-week study just on that verse. I know, and what it means to forgive as Christ has forgiven you. How to be kind to one another by the power of the Spirit in your life. I mean, there's just so much even in that one verse, and it really intertwines what Paul does in this letter of being just incredibly theological mm. and at the same time eminently practical for how we live. You think about in uh, in the same way when he starts to address husbands and wives and this sort of thing. I mean, it, he's clearly addressing a husband and wife and their love and respect and how they treat one another, and yet at the same time, it's all built on who is Christ. What has Christ done for his church? Uh, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And so it, you're, you're exactly right. It's You see perfectly coming together how Paul's understanding of 
who Christ is, mm-hmm. but even who God is as a triune God, how that relates and affects how we act and live every day. Exactly. And I think one of the things we want to bring out in this study is how Trinitarian Paul is in this letter. Like how much he's pulling back the layers, bringing out that it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at work in our lives and throughout history to redeem us, um, as he says in chapter 1, to the praise of his glorious grace. But it is the work of our triune God. Yeah, that's right. So each week what we're going to do is going to go chapter by chapter, and we will look at uh, things in that chapter that um, maybe feed into some of the key themes of the book overall. Or maybe we'll look at things that we want to draw out a little bit more or we want to spend a little bit more time on. Or maybe if there are texts that are in some ways uh, more challenging to think through or could have different options of how to think through or maybe perceive there may be questions about these, we'll try to address those each week, all in 25 minutes. Is that what we're shooting for? That's what we're shooting for. Okay. We'll see how close that gets in. How close we get to the target to be determined. But the people... People keep coming back. They, that's right. They um, love to hear from you. So. I think so. No, no. <laughs> uh, so Ephesians 1, why don't we start there? It's a very good place to that start. a good place to start. All right. So you pointed out something to me okay. in verse 3. Maybe it was last fall we were talking about this. Right. All right. Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And you pointed out to me, that actually mentions every member of the Trinity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I only see Father and our (laughs) Lord Jesus Christ, but you said every member of the Trinity. (laughs) You did your dissertation on, I don't know if anyone knows this. Right. They may. It may have come up once or twice before. We did your dissertation on the Holy Spirit and Charles Spurgeon. That's right. work and preaching ministry. That's right. Where's the Holy Spirit in verse 3? Yeah, so... so Father, Jesus... God the Father, clearly there. God the Son and Jesus Christ, uh, clearly there, obviously. I think the Spirit is as clear there, although sometimes are in translation, um, I think language and ideas can be lost. It, here's how I would say it. In verse 3, he starts, uh, he starts this sort of initial blessing passage. It's, a, it's like a, a eulogy. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's the Greek word. We were talking about this the other day. Actually, this, the Greek word is um, the same word that we get eulogy from, eulogia or something like this. So it's a praiseworthy saying, which is very common in Paul. Mm-hmm. He likes to start out his letters saying, blessed be God. It's a praise to God. Praise God because of? Because of this, this, this. this, and, this. So, yep. and it really goes, I think, from 3 all the way to 14. Mm-hmm. So it starts out, praise be to God. And then he's going to say why he's doing that, particularly for the Ephesians in this context. And it ends in 14, the very last phrase, to the praise of his glory. So every it's sort of like bookmarking. This is a praise mm-hmm. to God, to the praise of his glory, mm-hmm. everything that says in the middle. And at the end of this text, he really comes around and I think does the same thing in a lot of ways. Obviously, when he says to the praise of his glory, he's he's putting a, an end cap, a... a, a in placement on where he started. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So praise to God. Blessed be the God and Father in verse 3. Praise to his glory. 
in verse 14, last phrase. So I think you see the Father, verse both starting and ending. And again, in 13, you're seeing how Christ in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth. So we're seeing that Christ is very present again there at the end mm-hmm. to the counsel of his will so that we who were first to hope in Christ, in verse 12 is what it says, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So you have the Father and Christ both there at the end, but then also at the end you have very clearly the work of the Spirit in 13. So in 13 he says, In him, Christ, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So you've got all three persons. Mm-hmm. I think it's the same in the beginning. I think he's the beginning and the end, it's all the same, and he's showing us what he means, what these spiritual blessings that he's talking about in three, I don't think they're just uh, sort of uh, things that you would receive or get or, or this sort of thing, but I think he particularly means those things we have by the Spirit's work, which he says at the very end, that we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of the inheritance that we get until we acquire possession of it, which is exactly what he's saying in 3, that we have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So those things that the Spirit promised, that, that he is the, the guarantee of that mm-hmm. we have, we experience that now, but we also know it's coming in its fullness later. So I think when you see 3 and the end of this praise statement together, I think you find each person of God acting both at the beginning and at the end. And so you would see three, would you think it's okay to read three and say, you know, blessed be God, praise be God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every blessing of the Spirit? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I think you, you have to say that these spiritual blessings are coming particularly from the work of the Spirit in us. Because the Spirit has come into us, He's sealed us, mm-hmm. He's the guarantee of the inheritance, the things that we're being blessed with, until we acquire possession of it fully, ultimately, one day. And so, I mean, I think Paul's just bringing out here, right, that this is not just one person of the Godhead who's at work right. in Samuel, but this is the right. entire triune God, the one true and living God who is at work to save you and has been at work since before the foundation of the world. Yeah. One thing, so you're pointing this out to me, got me to notice there's really, I think in those first, in the verse three through 14, that Paul repeats the phrase, something along the lines to the praise of his glory or to the praise of his glorious grace three times. Mm -hmm. So there's sort of these three sections he's hitting. I think it is. I... (laughs) I don't know, Trinity 3, I think he might be doing something. But, you know, you get to the end of the first one in verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. It's very clearly he's been blessing, he's been praising God 3 through 6 about what the Father's work has done. And then as you go 7 down through 12, very much about the work of Christ. So you get to verse 12, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And then 13 and 14, really about the work of the Spirit that you brought out. That's right. And it ends with, to the praise of his glory. So you get this threefold pattern, to the praise of his glory, mm-hmm. that I think the his is a little ambiguous at yeah. points, mm-hmm. and I think purposefully so. 
is it the Father's glory? Is it the Spirit's glory? What's well, God's glory? At the sure. end of the day, we say. But I, there is that threefold pattern there yeah. that this is the work. Your salvation, my salvation, is the work of Father, Son, and Spirit yeah. to redeem us. That's right. To the praise of His glorious grace. Yeah, that's right. And they're kind of they're they're intermingled in there. Mm-hmm. The work of the Father and the work of Christ and the work of the Spirit. It's all sort of interrelated throughout the whole thing. But that's I think right. you're right. I mean. You can look at it sort of as these sections almost that unpack. You can almost maybe look at it as as three. The beginning is really setting the tone for what the blessing is. That's right. It's to the praise to the Father. This is what the Father has done. This is what the Father then has done in Christ. So praising Christ for mm-hmm. what Christ has accomplished. Of course, he accomplished it through the power of the Spirit. He accomplished it for the purpose of God, set forth by the Father. But you have sort of the Father and then the work of Christ, and then it ends there with a very clear directive on this is what the Spirit has done for you, that he is the guarantee of that inheritance that we're blessed with, which is why Paul is blessing God to the praise of his glory. So it's almost he's sort of going through and unpacking each person, even though, like you said, sometimes him is ambiguous. Mm-hmm. Does he mean the Father? Does he mean the Son? Does he mean the Spirit? Well, yes. Yes. It's That's sort true. of all of it. Right. So, pull back maybe sort of 20,000 foot view from this chapter, from these verses. Why is it important for us to see our salvation as the work of Father, Son, and Spirit? As opposed to, I think sometimes we think, not wrongly, which Jesus saves me, right? right. Which is right. right. But it, why is it helpful to, to grow in understanding to see that this is really the entire work of our triune God. Why is that important for me as a believer to know and to recognize that? I think you're right. A lot of times when we start talking about um, Trinitarian understandings, Trinitarian theology, however you want to say it, that it almost feels like this is just a mental exercise. Uh, And so we might, might want to avoid that. We might try to make our language more simple so that it's maybe easier to understand in a lot of ways. But I think what we miss when we do that is that our faith is based on who our God is. Mm. So from the Old Testament, from the very beginning till now and into eternity, we are, we are who we are because of who our God is. And God's people have always been distinguishing themselves, who they are, based on, who their God is. See, we are who we are because this is our God, and he's the one true God. He's not like your gods. Mm-hmm. Your gods are this and that, and they do this and that, and they're made of wood and brick, and they're images made in, made in the image of man. But this is the one true God who's the true creator. So I think as Christians, when we lose that Trinitarian view, a lot of times we begin to... Uh, we, we can even lose one of the key distinctives of who we are because it's losing a key distinctive of who God is. This is what has set apart God from the beginning, that he has always been Father, Son, and Spirit. So anytime we can read this and see it in the text, I just want to... It's not just like a fun game to play, <laughs> to look for it. It's not just like, oh, this is this could be a neat little puzzle to solve, but just to say, this is a revelation of God. That otherwise we wouldn't have known. Mm. Now, when it comes to our salvation particularly, 
we know that we're only saved because of what God does. And God has acted to save us by each person acting as the one God. So the one God saves us and he does it. It's the Father who by his will gives, shows us his grace. And he accomplishes this through the Son. It's by the Son that we see the Father. And it's by the Spirit that we're empowered to see this. And so we just want to marvel at who God is and what he's done to accomplish salvation for us. And I think even if you don't ever get to how is this maybe eminently practical in my life, to just if you just sat back and marveled at who God is for a minute, you think, wow, this God, this is, this is a God unlike anything I could have ever known. Man, that, that would be worth doing. Which I would argue is eminently practical. That's right. To know, I mean, this is eternal life, that you would know the Father and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Yeah. And how do we know that is by the Spirit. So it doesn't get more practical than knowing God because it's out of that knowledge and being redeemed by his grace that we then go and do anything in our lives. Right. So, And then uh, what we'll see through Ephesians is it keeps playing itself out because when you say, the Father is God, the Son, who is Jesus Christ, is God. You're more and more you're you're setting we're setting ourselves apart from other world religions, other faiths, other ideas about God. And you say the Spirit is a person who is God. Again, we're setting ourselves clearly apart from what the rest of the world will say. So each it it, it starts to affect your evangelism. Mm. It affects how you understand how God works. Yes, it is by faith in Christ alone that we're saved. But the power to even believe that is a gift of God, which comes through the power of the Spirit, God working in us to help us see and understand this. So just more and more it stacks up to say, even the fact that I can know God is, is God's work in me. This makes us thankful to Him. Makes It, it shapes our prayer life. It shapes every, I mean, everything about us. Absolutely. It's a great chapter. I mean, it's a great... though Verses 3 through through 14 is just such a great way to start this text to really set off what's going to happen. That's book. right, because as we look at this book, we're looking at what it means for us as a people, as those who've been redeemed by God, those right. who are not a people who've now been made a people. Right. And we're being conformed to the image of our God. We're being conformed to the image of Christ. We're being made like God. We're being indwelt by the Spirit so that all the fullness of God dwells in us, as he tells us in three. But our community, because we're a community that has been redeemed by God, because we're the people of our triune God, we're going to be shaped mm. and formed by who he is. Yeah, And we'll see that, I think, play out in just a myriad of ways through this book. One of the things we I think we've got to get to before we stop today is that what you, what you said at the very beginning that really launched us out, that the church then becomes the way by which God makes his wisdom known. Yes. The manifold wisdom of God, as he will say, through the church, he makes this known. So uh, help us understand how, what is it that we're trying to understand about God? Because that, that comes up in this, first, in this first section, that the mystery of God's will becomes a, th- a theme that's played out several times in Ephesians. What What is this mystery? What are we looking for? How are we trying to understand what's happening here? Yeah, so we're, 
the study is really built on the the main idea for the study is coming from Ephesians three ten, that through the church the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, that God is showing off his multifaceted, his variegated, just the beauty and complexity of his wisdom through the church, which for anyone who's been in a church is some, if you've been to a Baptist uh, business conference, sometimes you say, this doesn't seem like the best plan. God. How is the manifold how, wisdom of God? How is this happening? Me? Yeah. But it's built on what you're talking about, that this mystery of God's will is now, has now been revealed. Yes. And in, in Ephesians in particular, Paul is pulling out, he's unpacking that the mystery of God's will is that this is a salvation that is not just for the Jewish people, mm-hmm. that this is actually for both Jewish people and Gentiles, mm-hmm. that for anyone who puts their faith in Christ, they can be redeemed. Yeah. And not just redeemed in isolation from one another, but actually redeemed and brought together into one new people. Mm. And so we have to, I think as you go through Ephesians, see that this Jew-Gentile distinction was fundamental in this first in the first century that every sort of dividing wall you could think of between people social religious national economic ethnic that's the it's all those in one Mm -hmm. this jew gentile distinction and what paul says is that now through christ through the cross those two people those two groups that were every way that the world says should be divided are now brought together into the church, into the people of God. Mm-hmm. And so the church starts to show off God's wisdom when it's people who the world says should have nothing in common, nothing alike, are now coming together as one people to worship God. That God's grace can overcome every conceivable division in this world. Mm. And that shows off his wisdom. Mm-hmm. That shows off his glory. And it really, it ties back in to what we spent most of this time talking about, the fact that God is triune, mm-hmm. that God is completely unified. He is one, he's indivisible. He is one. And yet he exists and has existed eternally as three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, in perfect loving communion with each other. Mm-hmm. And so there is unity, and in that unity there's diversity, but in that diversity there's a fundamental, unshakable unity in our God. That's right. And in the church, because we are worshiping the one true God, we are being conformed into the image of the one true God, we start to show off those same traits, yeah. that there is a deep and abiding communion and union with one another because it's with Christ. We have that union with Christ. And so we start to have this fundamental, unshakable unity that expresses itself in our diversity. That's right. And when we do that, we catch a glimpse, I think, of God's manifold wisdom being displayed in and through us as a church, in and through God's people. Yeah, who the church is, what the church is, how the church operates in this, the diversity that's coming together by faith in Christ, Mm. the unity that's experienced by the Spirit, and you say, you can see who God is based on the church. But then you also just say, the church makes clear God's plan. 
all along, God's people have been asking, why would God do this? Why would he allow other nations to overthrow them? Why would he send them to this and that place? Why would, you know, why would they constantly be in struggle and in fighting and in flux and all this? And it's finally when you see Christ and the resurrected Christ and Christ sending his spirit and the church birthed and launched and who all is incorporated into the church, not just one ethnicity, not just one people group, but all peoples who by faith in Christ find unity in him now are coming together. And you see how the the church then begins to display God's plan to bring salvation to his people Mm -hmm. in all time. I mean, so that... And, and who the church is and what the church does, it shows who God is. It also shows God's plan, historical plan, even from, as Ephesians will say, before the foundations of the world, God's plan before creation to establish To unite all things to unite in all heaven things. on earth That's right. in Christ. And so that, that vision of Habakkuk, that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea, is coming to fruition now. In Christ, but now through his people, the church. That's right. It's remarkable. Yeah, that's right. We could probably talk for hours on Ephesians. We we probably could. And we probably will. <laughs> but maybe maybe we need to wrap this up. But maybe not now. <laughs> uh, well, I think what you said, though, is, is so key, um, that all things in Christ are being united in verse 10, to see the work of Christ as establishing, as... Um, bringing together an understanding of who God is and clarifying God's mission, God's intent, God's purposes, unifying God's people, bringing order even to the universe, to the chaos that has existed since sin. In fact, it's a fun word that unite all things in him. It's actually a fun word in in Greek. It's a very long one. Something like, Anakophalia sasthai. I mean, it's almost like, you know, uh, anti-disestablishmentarianism is apparently the longest word in the English dictionary. Or was at one time or something like this. Anakophalia sasthai. You such a nerd. Anakophalia sasthai. I mean, I'm calling you a nerd. That's like... That's saying That's something. bad. That's bad. It's like this really long word. It is. I'm very impressed. I'm looking at it now. Is that just what it for is? The, for those of you not watching on TV, uh, just, Tyler just pulled that out. Yeah, that's that's the word. And it's it's I think the the idea is that it's bringing together. It's it's br- it's a summation. It's bringing together everything that that we, we've been confused about the mm-hmm. mystery of God. And it's is as if to say, do you want to know how God's going to sum up all things? It's in Christ, and you've seen that now because of the crucified and resurrected and ascended Christ. But then we we anticipate that for the future. Just like he ends the whole text, that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who's with us now, he's the guarantee of the inheritance that we possess, because we have every spiritual blessing, and yet he's just the guarantee of it. He's We don't have the fullness of it yet. That's coming mm. until we acquire possession, full possession of it. I think it's the same thing here, that Christ has clearly shown us now. If you've seen Christ, you've seen the Father. If you know Christ, you know God that in Christ we see how God is summing up all things in history, all things. Um, And it's clear now, and we're still waiting for it. So good. So good. All things in heaven and on earth. Yeah. And I think it's just a reminder that this plan God has 
is not, which is one of the things we're pushing in this study. This plan is not just for you as an individual. Hmm. This plan is not just for your soul to get to get to heaven, but this is actually God's plan for all things. It's a plan that brings you, incorporates you into a community of believers, but is one day fulfilled in Christ returning and making all things new in heaven and on earth. And that, right, what you're saying, it's summed up, it's united in him. And that's where you'll notice as you read through Ephesians, everything is happening in, through, and with Christ. Mm. That this is not a salvation you or I could earn by any stretch of the imagination, but it is something that is given to us as we're united to Christ by faith. And that union with Christ, both individually and then as we'll see corporately, and ultimately in all things, is is the key. That's right. That's where the plan's going. Amen. Well, we've got to stop, but don't worry. We'll be back. Each chapter, we'll try to do this to help out and have fun conversations. So until next time, that's Ephesians 1. We'll look forward to doing it again. But thanks so much for your time, John. Thanks, Tyler.